Hello, people of the way. We're going to continue our study through the book of Leviticus. And if you have your Bible, turn to Leviticus 22. And in Leviticus 22, something I have to say is a little precursory message. And I'm never going to get tired of saying this as we study the law. And I, th I don't want you to be... Um, um, what's the word? Seduced. I don't want you to be seduced into the law. Okay, there are very beautiful aspects of the law. But I don't want you to be seduced into the law. That's the Hebrew roots movement. People who say, okay, I want to be righteous. I want to please the Lord. So I'm going to start sacrificing animals. I'm going to start performing the duties of the law. But no, we're under grace. We're under the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. If you're not under him, then you're under, certainly under the law. And the law kills. You know, you need to be under Jesus Christ. You need to abide in him and he in you. If you're a non-believer listening, I won't get tired of this either. Believe in Jesus Christ. You know, there's some very convicting passages that we look at, Old Testament and New Testament. And when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you need to repent. The same way I need to repent. The same way I do repent. You read the Bible. Sometimes you read the Bible and it's like, wow, this just blesses your socks off. And all you got to do is turn the page. And a lot of times it's like a knife in your heart. Praise be to the Lord because that's the Holy Spirit who wants to change you. He's building something beautiful in your, in your body, in your temple. You know, stone by stone, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And we're going to study this more when we get into Ephesians again because we've already you know, kind of looped around. And we're going to keep going through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Old Testament, New Testament, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept because we get the full counsel of the Word of God. We understand his character, his nature. And so here we are in the law, but I don't want you to be seduced into the law. We're going to understand deeper, deeper things of the character and nature of our Lord. But in he helps us by his Holy Spirit, not to fulfill the law, but to abide in the fulfillment of the law, to abide in Christ. Okay, so let's look at verse 1 here in chapter 22, Leviticus. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I love how, you know, I say this a lot and I won't get tired of saying this, but how Moses, how the Lord speaks with Moses and then Moses is like a messenger, you know, and it's the same thing with you, you know, not to uh, deify Moses or not to deify you, but we read in our study in Hebrews how Moses himself was a servant in the household of God. And, you know, remember the disciples, he says, you know, the Lord says, you guys are servants. But then you read further. He says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing or going to do. But a friend does. I mean, you see that in like deep, like very best friends. Or in some cases, it should be in a lot of ways, a husband and wife. Where like a husband and wife, they come together, they get married. And it's like, you know, the first couple of years, it's like, you know, they're still getting used to each other. And maybe the first five years, 10 years, you're getting used to each other. But then after like 30 years, 40 years, it's like, uh, you know, the other person like better than you know yourself. You know how they're going to respond. You know how they act. And it's like that same concept with our Lord. You see that in deep friendships too. But it's the exact same thing with our Lord. When he says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends because you don't have to guess what the master is doing. Because your heart is close to him. 
And that's what's so beautiful about abiding in Christ. Not the law. Abiding in Christ. And you see Moses is like the Lord says something to Moses. And Moses is like the distributor. Like you start a car, you know. This power surge goes to, you know, you turn the key. Power surge distributor and everything's distributed. It's like the same thing. It's like Moses is like a distributor. You know, it's the same thing with the apostles. They're disciples first and then they're apostles. What about you? A disciple first and then a messenger. You see? A lot of people want to be a messenger first. They like the accolades of men. Like, wow, look, I got, you know, 10 converts today. Like it's a sales pitch. I got 10 converts today. I did 100. I did 1,000. You know, no, it's, the, it's, the, it's not a sales pitch. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God. You see, it's very important to understand these deep spiritual things because they help us in our walk with Him. And not to deify self and say, like, you too can be a messenger. But you read the Bible, it says you too can be a messenger. The Lord even says, be a messenger. Go share the good news, share the gospel. Go and not make converts. Go and make disciples, learners. Who are the ones who want to learn the Word of God? And apply the word of God in their lives, in their heart. You know, there's a lot. But in the grand scheme of the entirety of the globe, there's few. You know, if you ever think like, you remember Elijah? Elijah thought like, man, you know, I'm all alone. And the Lord told him, you know what? Don't, you know, don't feel like you're alone. You might be alone right now in your certain locale. (laughs) But he says there's 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not alone, Elijah. So even though you might feel alone, understand that you're not alone. You know, there's number one, you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses captured in Holy Scripture. But what about other believers? Who, you know what? They don't like the direction that the church is going. They don't like to go to church and hear a social gospel. They don't like to hear a a pastor teach a seeker-friendly, emergent church type of uh, doctrine. They don't like to hear about, you know, hey, the pastor says, let's go grave-soaking. Isn't that wonderful? And they're like, no, that's not wonderful. It's an abomination. There are people. You know what they're called? The remnant. That's what they're called. Just as you see in the Old Testament, there's a remnant. But you also see in uh, the New Testament, in the church, there is also a remnant according to grace. And we're going to hit that hardcore when we study Romans, which we're going to start on Sunday. But we're going to hit that hardcore on Romans about the law. And it's so cool because here we're wrapping up Leviticus. It's like this is a hardcore book in the law, if not the most. But to understand deeper, deeper things of the law. And when you understand these things, is to say, okay, you're a disciple. You've been a disciple, especially for those who've been listening to me for a while. You know, some of you guys are new. You're new listeners. And praise be to the Lord, I pray for you. But what about those, you know, if you're listening and you've been listening for a while, you know who you are. (laughs) You know, at what point are we going to put aside together corporately? At what point in time are we going to lay aside the elementary things and move on to perfection? You know, you talk to a kid, they eat their little cheery. You have like a kid's menu. You go out to dinner, you see a kid's menu. And what is it? It's like little cheesy stuff, you know, like macaroni and cheese, a little hamburger, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You have a fine dining and like, you know, a little kid eating a peanut butter because they're picky. 
You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to grow. I don't want to eat this. I don't want to eat that, but I'll eat, you know, mac and cheese. And yeah, it's fine. It's for a kid, you know. But at what point are we going to get off the little Cheerios? At what point are we going to stop drinking? Milk is beautiful. Remember, milk is wonderful. But it's for babies. The teeth grow. You know, you have the baby food, little applesauce jars. Or, you know, baby, it's not applesauce. But it looks like applesauce, but don't smell like applesauce. You see, and you know, are you going to be 30 years old eating that? 40 years old with the milk bottle to your face? And I don't say that to shame anybody. I don't want to hurt your little feelers. But it's a call for us to grow together in Christ and mature together in Christ as one body with many parts. If you're a new believer, praise be to the Lord. If you haven't been listening, you know, I say listening to me. It's not like, you know, it, it, me. It's like studying the Word of God and hearing the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And there are some hardcore verses that we touch on. You know, we had passages that we studied in the law about semen. That's hardcore stuff. And look at pornography in the church today. Look at all the sexual immorality in the church today. Look at, you know, a guy who has sex with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, a hundred ladies. Thousands of ladies. And brags about it. And not just that. Look at pornography. Look at all the masturbation in the church today. Defiled. A people defiled. Men defiled. Teenagers defiled. Husbands defiled. Engaged men defiled I kind of feel bad for the women not kind of I really feel bad for women because it's like you know you have a young girl who wants to get married and you know she's 15 16 praying and you know saving herself for marriage I mean sexually speaking and it's like man you know your husband's already defiled you know or you know it's it's sad and I don't make the man it sounds like such a downer but it's the world in which we it's the church in which we are. But don't forget there's a remnant. There's a remnant. Praise be to the Lord. And I pray you are a remnant. I pray we stay a remnant. And so look what happens here. In verse 2. Speak to Aaron and to and his sons that they may that speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel. Now this is still consecrated. You, you see a lot of words that we study in the in the law about consecration. <clears throat> and this is still consecration, but it's it's to consecrate through abstaining. He's, he says, speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel. And you read that and you're like, okay, what do you mean about consecrate through through abstinence? And I'm not speaking about sexually, but what do you mean consecrate through abstaining? Yes. And here's why. He says, and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. You see, God is holy. That's a gimme. I mean, you read the Bible. You, you don't even have to read the Bible. I mean, read the Bible, but even non-believers, they know God is holy. Have you ever talked to a non-believer? They're like, yeah, I, I'm not down with that Christianity thing that you are. I, I'm not down with that, but I know God is. I know God is real. I know He's holy. You know, and praise be to the Lord because those are like people who are like on the, on the fence and rightfully so because I get it. Have you ever talked to a non-believer where it's like, 
you know, I believe in God, but there's so much hypocrisy that I see that I can't believe in. I, I can't, I can't align myself with that. You know what I say to them? Me too, my friend. Me too. I don't like the hypocrisy in the church. And you know what? Neither does Jesus. Neither did Paul. Neither did uh, Peter, James. Neither did uh, uh, Jude, John. Neither do they. And the Lord used them as messengers to say, hey, cut out the hypocrisy to Christians, to the church. This hypocrisy that you got going on, cut it out, repent. And that's what's so beautiful. You talk to these non-believers like, I don't like the hypocrisy in the church. Well, you know what? Your heart is closely aligned with the Lord, my friend. What do you mean? Well, look at, look what the Lord says against hypocrites. Look what Paul says against hypocrites. And they're like, whoa, I never knew that. You mean to tell me that what I see in the news, what's happening in the church, the Lord doesn't like that? Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. We follow Jesus Christ and what he teaches. And you know, when he says, uh, so when I say God is holy, that's, that, that's a gimme. And I don't mean to cheapen him by saying that he's a gimme because it's kind of like, okay, that's the no-brainer for us. He's holy. The word of God is holy. His son, holy. The Holy Spirit, holy. It's all holy. He's holy. But then here in Leviticus, the priests, they're supposed to be holy. And the Lord gives them instructions on how to be holy. The people, Israel, they're supposed to be holy. And the Lord gives them instructions on how to be holy. For you and me, we're supposed to be holy. And the Lord gives us instructions for how to be holy. Here in this passage, the Lord is saying, you have to abstain from these people. Abstain yourselves from the holy things of the children of Israel. And they do that and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. Because remember, the priests here in the law are like the gatekeepers. They're the inspectors, so to speak. <clears throat> They're the inspectors. I mean, say for example, someone, you're a priest, okay? In the law, we're, we're, we go back in time and you're a priest in the law. And, you know, you're, you have a friend who's not a Levite, not a priest, but they're just a friend of the tribe of Dan, okay? And you have a friend, you know, and you're chummy with them, you know, you, you love them as a brother or sister in, in the Lord. And we're under the law, Old Testament. I mean, if we went back in time, not here and now, but I mean, if we went back in time, we're under the law and we were a friend. And we're pretty chummy with that person. And then, you know, you're actually... In the tabernacle now. And maybe your next door neighbors, you know, or, you know, you're just friends with this guy who's of the tribe of Dan or any tribe. And then you see them, you're, it's the daytime and, you know, you're, you're doing your priestly duties. And then the guy brings to you like a mangy animal to sacrifice, a mangy sheep. And, you know, because you're chummy with this guy, does that mean, you know, it's kind of like uh you know, uh, uh, fraternization, you know, it, 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 and not to say that you can't be friends with this guy or friendly with this guy, but sometimes people make excuses in the name of friendliness. You see a lot of pastors, 
a lot of elders in the name of friendliness, in the name of love even. They make excuses for sin. And they say, well, you know what? I don't want to I don't want to talk to you about your uh, pornography. I don't want to talk to you about your alcohol. I don't want to talk to you about your crack. I don't want to talk about about your five girlfriends, your strip clubs because I love you. Well, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder and you have that mentality, that's a wrong mentality to have. You probably shouldn't be a pastor, you probably shouldn't be an elder. Because you're the one, if you're not compromised, I mean, you cannot, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're anybody in Christ for that matter, you cannot correct another brother or sister in the Lord about their alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever, if you yourself are compromised. You can't. You can say it, but there's no power. No power whatsoever. You cannot be a hypocrite. You have to take the plank out of your own eye. And we're going to study this hardcore in the book of Romans. I like Romans because it's kind of like the meeting point of the law and grace. Very precise. You know, here we are closing up Leviticus almost. We're at the end of Leviticus. Very interesting how the Lord has us in Romans. And you kind of see like the, uh, uh, the meeting point of the law and grace. And Paul has to set something straight. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he has to set something straight. But don't forget the priests here, their job is to inspect. You know, so what if you have this, you're chummy with this guy of the tribe of Dan. And he gives you a, a little mangy animal. He's like, come on, you know, you, uh, don't look at this spot. Go ahead and inspect the, the front chest of this sheep. But don't look at the hindquarters because there's a little blemish there. And because you're chummy, you're like, okay, it's no big deal. It's okay, you're good to go. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You know what that means if for that priest? It means you're compromised. You cannot do that. If you're a pastor and you're trying to correct another brother on crack, and you yourself are a crackhead, it doesn't work that way. No power. And that's what you see in the ministry leaders. Hypocrisy, and it's not good. And the Lord is saying, hey, consecrate yourself through abstaining. To understand that, you think like, what do you mean abstaining? That they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. So you're chummy with your friend from the tribe of Dan? If you're a priest, Old Testament, back in time. You know, we're in our time machine. Not now, because we're under grace. But we go back in time, you're chummy with your friend from the tribe of Dan. Oh, you're, you know, you're friendly with him. He's friendly with you. And he brings to you a mangy sheep. Like, I'm sorry, I love you, but I can't accept this mangy sheep because it's not pleasing to the Lord. And the Lord is saying, hey, priest, make sure you make this line, this, this line of delineation because you're holy. You have a job to do. And the people, they're holy and they need to stay holy. For the priest, you're holy, but you need to stay holy. The Lord is certainly holy. That's a gimme. But the same thing applies for us in the church today. The Lord is holy. That's a gimme. But we have to be holy as well. Not just today, but every day for the rest of our lives. And you're going to slip. We're going to fall. We're going to, you know, uh, stumble in our walk. But we learn from those mistakes. 
and we don't make the same mistakes. Remember Jesus Christ says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. It's very, very, very important to understand these things because when we understand these things and apply them to our lives, we can move on to perfection. And then the Lord will tap on your heart. Hey, I want you to be a pastor. Hey, I want you to be a, a messenger for me. You see? And so we're going to see these rules for the priests because remember, they have a job to do without hypocrisy. And we're going to understand why the Lord does exactly what He does in the Old Testament when there is hypocrisy. What about when there is hypocrisy in the church? Well, the Lord teaches us exactly what He does. And so let's look at what happens here in verse 3. Remember here that it, uh, when I say that as we read further in the Old Testament, we're going to understand why God takes the course of action that He does. But we're going to see it in the future of the priesthood. And even for ministry leaders today, the Lord has, you know, hardcore rules for us. And not just church leadership, but also for, you know, Christians, all of us. And when you're a pew Christian, you know, I keep saying the pew Christian and the pulpit Christian because I want you to understand this uh, kind of like a line of demarcation. And people can go from pulpit to pew again. You know, you hear me mention elders and pastors who are biblically disqualified. They should not be pastors. They should not be elders. And I've had these conversations with people. Hey, I love you, brother, but you shouldn't be a, a pastor because you're a hypocrite. You're compromised. I say it nicer than that, but I'm, you know, for the sake of time. Or I have had talks with elders, you know, take a break from being an elder. Get your heart right with the Lord. And then let's talk about, you know, let's pray and talk about, discuss you being an elder again if you're biblically qualified. Very important because that's where the power, that's, that's, I mean, you have a battery, a, a, a flashlight. What happens if the batteries run out? You need a new, ba you need a new battery. You need no light coming out. You need a new battery. But then what happens if you put the battery in backwards? Yeah, you have a battery, brand new battery. Yeah, you have a flashlight. The bulb is, works fine, but it doesn't light. There's still no power because the battery's in wrong. That's what happens in the church when there is hypocrisy. Yes, there is the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there is light. I meant like the bulb. Yes, there is the flashlight, the actual canister of the flashlight. But for everything to work beautifully, in order for light to emit, for that bulb to be powered, you have to take the battery, put it in properly, and then, you know, shine, light, shine brightly. Oil in your lamp. You see? And so let's read what happens here in verse 3. Say to them, whoever of all your descendants throughout all your generations. So that's a lot of people. From the priesthood right here at this point on to the future. He says, whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord. While he has uncleanness upon him. That person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. That is heavy. That is hardcore. What a message to the priests. While he has uncleanness. Or I'll put this in other terms. While he is defiled. 
What does it take for that to happen? No fear of God. No fear of God. The love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord work together. I like to think of the love of the Lord as a gas pedal and the fear of the Lord as the brake. And when you're in a car, you have the brake and the gas. And you know, your foot goes on either one based on whatever you want to do. You know, the love of the Lord, in a lot of ways, the love of the Lord is like a gas pedal. Of course, all in obedience to the Lord. It's like a gas pedal. Wow, I love you, Lord. Let's do this. I'm flooring it. We're going like, you know, full speed. But then all of a sudden, you know, something happens. Temptation comes in whatever way, shape, or form. Maybe your old friend calls and says, Hey, I got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Come on, come to my house. At what point are you going to slam on the brakes? I'm not denying your love of the Lord. But what I do question is the fear of the Lord. If that's you, what I do question is your fear of the Lord. We have to understand these things. And in the Old Testament, the Lord says, Hey, priest, if you're going to be defiled and a priest, you're cut off from my presence. Now you're going to understand why the Lord does what he does with Eli and his wicked sons. Wicked sons and wicked Eli. You're going to, you read the passages, we're going to, we're going to get there eventually. And I say it every now and then. But you're going to see like, wow, Lord, that's pretty hardcore. The high priest is dead and his priest's sons are dead now. Wow, Lord, and it's by your hand you're doing that? Wow, Lord, that's pretty hardcore. But what happens if we have no understanding of Leviticus? Then you read the passage of his passing, and it's like, whoa, that's, that's hardcore. Wow, Lord, that, that's almost mean. That's why a lot of people say, I don't like the God of the Old Testament, because he's, he's mean, he's vengeful, he's full of wrath. He hasn't changed. He, today, he hasn't changed. I never changed, says the Lord. He, he doesn't change. He's a God of justice. He will judge, and he does judge. But the wrath of God, it's coming. He doesn't change. We're under this age of grace. We're spoiled now. People say, oh, yeah, I don't want to become a Christian. I'm just going to party, and when I go to hell, whatever, you say I'm going to go to hell, I'm just going to party over there. You know, you're spoiled. If that's your mindset, you're very, very spoiled because we have it good. Everything's fine and dandy. Just like the days of Noah, everything's fine and dandy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Calamity's coming. I don't mean to scare you, but you read passages and prophetical passages. It's like, whoa, that's scary. People accuse me, so you're using fear tactics to bring people to the Lord. Well, I read my Bible, and the Lord uses fear tactics. (laughs) That's scary stuff. Judgment. And so who are the messengers? Where are the messengers? Where are the non-hypocritical messengers? Where are the non-carnal messengers? Where? I pray it's you. And if it's you, stay in the word. Don't defile yourself. And be on fire for the Lord. White hot. Be on fire for the Lord like crazy. Praise be to the Lord. 
And so here, what happens here? The Lord is calling out the hypocrites. Straight up. He just says, you know what? If you're undefiled, uncleanness is upon you, no fear of the Lord, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. You say, well, Lord, that's, that's wild. No, it's not wild. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. There are some aspects of the Lord. It's like, carnally speaking, it's like, whoa, Lord, I never knew that. I mean, I used to read the Bible all the time. I, mean, I read the Bible all the time now, but I'm, I know the Bible and I'm learning more and more. But when I used to read the Bible, like as a like non like a like young believer, a borderline non believer, but like you know, very very young believer, like a milk, milk Christian, you know, I used to read the Bible like, whoa, Lord, this is wild. You mean to tell me, Lord, that you you would do this? And then you read not just that he would do it, he does do it. You say, okay, I'm I'm glad that's for the Old Testament, but let's turn to Matthew chapter seven really quick. <clears throat> Matthew 7, <clears throat> Matthew 7, verse 21, the Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? You're like, whoa, this is a guy or gal, whoever it is, who was prophesying? A prophet? A prophetess? Whoa, look how hard, like, whoa, big shot. A prophet or a prophetess? Cast out demons in your in your name? You're like, whoa, these people straight up cast out demons in the name of Jesus? Whoa, surely the power of the Lord is upon them. And it could be that at that particular juncture, at that particular moment in time, when they were actively uh, prophesying when they were actively casting out demons, it could be that they were on fire for the Lord. It could be it, 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 quite possibly, and, and not quite possibly, it is highly evident that there's a high propensity that that is the case. Walking with the Lord, on fire with the Lord. So what in the world happened? Remember our study in Acts chapter 20, the, the, the exhortation to elders? Shepherds who became wolves. Shepherds. So at one point in time, they were new believers. They matured in Christ. They knew the word. They understood the word. They studied the word. They prayed. They were called into a shepherd ministry as elder. Maybe even, you know, uh, uh, kind of like a, a step to being a pastor which is very common. It's very common for someone to be a baby Christian, mature in Christ, and have these, uh, um, uh, I say lower duties, but I don't want to call them lower duties, but just to explain this, lower duties in the church, moving up to an elder and then maybe even a pastor, the shepherding ministries. And you know, Take that with a grain of salt because, you know, in terms of being a fisher of men, there is an aspect of shepherding ministries for male and female. But as in a, a pastor in the church, always male. Always male. But you read Acts 20 and what do you see? People who are currently elders 
And, you know, they were non-believers at one time. They believed in Jesus Christ. They were born again. And all of a sudden, they're elders. And then Paul says, some of you guys are going to be wolves. Whoa. What in the world happened? Look here in verse 22, Matthew 7. The Lord says, and done many wonders in your name. Whoa, mighty works in the name of Jesus. Whoa. You have a prophet. Someone who casts out demons and people who do mighty works. They do it all in the name of the Lord. Surely the power of the Lord is with these guys. Maybe gals. But then read verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Some translations say you worker of iniquity. Whoa. Practice lawlessness? What does lawlessness look like? I mean, we see, uh, we see lawlessness on the streets. You turn on the news, you see lawlessness. But what does lawlessness look like in your heart? The work of your hands, the steps of your feet. When your Bible says one thing and your behavior is another, that's wickedness. That's not right. That's lawlessness. And I don't want to say, you know, the Bible says this and you behave like this, you're going to burn in hell. I can't say that. But if the Bible says one thing and you behave otherwise, you need to repent and come back to Christ. No man, no woman can condemn another person to hell. But a man or a woman in Christ, non-hypocritical, no plank in his or her eye, full of the Spirit, good witness, the works of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. Those are very, very special people. And oftentimes, they should be. If they're not ministry leaders, they should be in ministry. A lot of pastors, they like being pastors because they like being Mr. Big Shot. A lot of men like to be elders because they like being Mr. Big Shot. But you read these passages, Mr. Big Shot here in verse 22. All these Mr. Big Shots here, maybe some Mrs. Big Shots. But then verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see? Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does. See? Faith comes by hearing, but then at the same time, being a hearer of the word and doer of the word. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. You see? Wisdom. That's what happens when you hear the word and you do the word. Wisdom. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. You see, a choice needs to be made in my life and in your life. A choice needs to be made. Now, if you're of the reformed type, Calvinistic type, you say, oh, the Holy Spirit... It's not me doing anything. It's the Holy Spirit compels me to do this. The Holy Spirit compels me to do that. Well, it's bad doctrine. I mean, go to counseling session. If you know any, if you're Reformed, talk to your Reformed pastor. 
and ask him about uh, the counseling sessions. You know, oh, the counseling session about a husband who's cheating on his wife. Counseling session about uh, a husband who's beating on his wife and beating on his kids. An alcoholic guy. Alcoholic female. Alcohol, you know, drug addicted kids. And then ask the pastor, Pastor, was this compelled by the Holy Spirit? Is this preordained by Jesus for his glory? Is this preordained by the Lord for his glory? And that's a result of the fall of man. And not just the fall of man. We, we know the remedy for the fall of man is Jesus Christ. But what about you? And I'm speaking personally. I, I don't care how many listeners there are. I'm speaking to you personally. It's just you and me. What about you? Are you going to hear the word and do? Or are you going to hear the word and not do? And I have to emphasize, you know, don't blame the Holy Spirit. Don't say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit compelled me to punch my wife. The Holy Spirit compelled me to put that needle in my arm. The Holy Spirit compelled me to go to the strip club. No. That's, that's, that's a bad argument. It's unbiblical. I don't, you know, if you're of the reformed kind, it's not that I want to fight, you know, I don't want to fight. But it's very important to understand the entirety of Scripture. You know, a very simple equation. If you hear and do, you're wise. If you hear and don't do, you're a fool. And I don't want to hurt anybody's feelers. I'm not trying to hurt your feelers. But it's true. I like to boil things down because it helps me in my own walk with the Lord. I like to boil things down. Let's get to the, the nitty gritty. You know, you hear people you kind of put a lot of niceties around certain things. So, yeah, God loves you, you know. I know you like going to strip clubs. I know you like the crack pipe. God loves you, all these things. No. Why put rose bushes with the trash? You need to repent. You need to be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. You need to apply these things in your life. It's very important. But then what happens when you hear and don't do? The Lord tells us here in verse 26, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So you hear me say, if you hear and do, you're wise. If you hear and don't do, you're a fool. Don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. Verse 27, the same thing comes. Just like in verse 25, rain, winds, everything. Verse 27, the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was it was its fall. Have you seen people, their homes, and it couldn't withstand the storm? People say, oh yeah, I'll do my crack, I'll do my sex, I'll do whatever, all these things. You're spoiled. Because it's summertime. You know, the storm hasn't come. But the storm will come. As surely as the Lord lives, the storm will come. And when it does, if you're not a, a, a doer of the word, if you don't apply the word in your life, you're going to fall. 
your house will fall. And who's under your house? Your wife, your kids. You know, a lot of what I say is male-centric because I'm a male. But also for females too. I always talk about if you're going to beat on your wife and cheat on your wife. But then, like, wives too. If you're going to do all this crazy stuff, the crack and, you know, whatever, sex. I, I always say the big ticket items. But there's little tickets too. Tax cheat. White collar crimes. You know, be a doer of the word. Apply these things in our life. This is new covenant teaching. Which aligns very well with old covenant teaching. You see, the character and nature of our Lord. Let's go back to Leviticus 22 now. That's what the Lord said. He's addressing hypocrisy. Straight up, he's addressing hypocrisy. Those who go near holy, verse 3, middle, he says, who go near holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Well, that's hardcore. But he's hardcore in the New Testament too, what we just read in Matthew 7. Whatever, in verse 4, he says, whatever man of the descendants of Aaron, these are potential high priests now, the descendants of Aaron. You have the lineage of the, the high priest. Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge, and we talked about, you know, sexual discharges, semen specifically, shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. And so you read that and you're like, whoa, he shall not eat the holy offerings? Does that mean he starves? You know, that's qu quite the motivation when you think about it. I mean, a priest who is dirty before the Lord, maybe a priest who is a leper or has a discharge. It's like, whoa, does that mean that he can't eat? That's precisely what the Lord is saying. Don't eat. What happens when you don't eat? You die. That's what happens. I mean, you can go a day without food, two days without food, a week without food. Whoa, you're starving. Two weeks without food, you're like pushing death. Three weeks? Four weeks? Extensions beyond that? It's like, you're borderline death. Now you understand when the Lord has the heavy, heavy judgment. Indictment against the religious leaders. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23. A heavy, heavy indictment. Now you understand why he has this heavy indictment. He calls them whitewashed tombs. You guys are dead. Whitewashed tombs. Because of uncleanness. Their uncleanness. And you know what? It's self-inflicted. They were blind and deaf. And because they were self, it was a self-inflicted wound upon them. Because they were blind and deaf. You know what? The people suffered too. Because it should have been the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the high priests. I could understand a little reservation at the first hearing of Jesus. I could understand it as a, as a protector, as a shepherd. Okay, you know, who is this? What does he speak? But then as he speaks, as he teaches, you inquire, you ask questions. If you're a Pharisee. He has questions, you know, his birth, all these things. You go back like a Berean, you study the scriptures, you pull out the scrolls, you read everything. 
And you're like, wow, you know what? This is quite the fulfillment, what's happening here. Wow. He says this. How does he know these things? I didn't, I didn't see him. He wasn't in Gamaliel's class. He wasn't in class. Who is this guy? No disrespect to the Lord by saying, who is this guy? But these religious leaders, they should have pulled out the sword. They should have known. But they should have inquired. I couldn't understand the immediate reservation just to protect Israel. But they should have been the ones that say, hey, Israel, hey, all you tribes, the Messiah is here. They should have been the ones. But no, look at how their blindness costs a lot. Remember, Jesus Christ said, if the blind follow the blind, then both fall into a ditch. Don't be blind. If your pastor is blind, you know, call him on his blindness. And if he's still blind, leave. Get a new pastor. Crazy. We're living in crazy days. It's not a time to pay, play tiddlywinks. It's a time to fight. And so look what happens here. Uh, who, the, uh, um, whoever man of the descendants of Aaron who, has, who is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat holy things until he is clean, the holy things until he is clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or a man who has an emission of semen or whoever touches any creeping thing made or creeping thing by which he would be made unclean or any person by whom he would become unclean. Whatever his uncleanness be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. How beautiful this is. I mean, it's, it's sad that there's uncleanness among the priesthood. But now that there's uncleanness, let's get it fixed. Let's get it addressed. It needs to be addressed. What is it? Water. Washes his body with water. For us, you the living water. For you and me today, living water. To bathe in the word of God. The natural world testifies of these things. What happens if you weren't to take a shower? If you stopped taking showers for a week. If you just, it's the beginning of the week and you're like, okay, I'm not taking a shower for a week. You know how funky you'll get after two days? After a day? You're going to be ripe. And stinky. You know what you have to do? You need to take a shower. You see? The natural world testifies of these things. You're going to go to work. Your coworkers are going to be like, man, get out of my face. You stink. I can't. not. You're burning my nostrils. Get out of my face. Don't even come to work. Work from home today. Because, man, you're ripe. And if your coworkers don't say it, your boss should say something. Man, you stink. You're going to make our customers run for the doors. You're going to, no one's going to come here because of your stench. You need to get nasty. What about you and me? If we don't have a steady diet in the Word of God, you know how funky we can get? Carnally speaking, the carnal nature starts to be on the rise and the spiritual nature starts to be on the decline. Why? No shower. No living water. No time in the Word. Here you have these Old Testament examples. Unless he washes his body with water. <clears throat> and when the sun goes down, he shall be clean. And afterward, he may eat the holy offerings because it is his food. You see? So 
he's clean, okay, feed and be blessed. Remember, the, the priests, they didn't have to go out and hunt. They didn't have to go out and, like, do any, like, grocery shopping, all that stuff. I'm not just speaking facetiously when I say grocery shopping. But they didn't have to do certain things like everybody else. Because they were workers in the tabernacle. They were the priesthood. They had a job to do. And their job was for people to be made right with God. To keep Israel holy. They were like the bathers. So Israel would be dirty. A, 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 a person would be dirty. Come to the priest. And the priest would say, okay, let's clean you up. Let's get you right with the Lord. So that's why I say the priests were like the bathers. Spiritually speaking. You know, a dirty guy, dirty gal. Okay, let's get you clean. This is what you have to do. Do this, 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 this. And the person goes out and does it. Comes back. Says, okay, here's my lamb. Here's my turtle dove. Here's my sheep. Here's my ox. Okay, this is what we're going to do now. And now you're right with the Lord. You're atoned for your sin has a covering. Your sin is gone. It's life for life. A lot of blood. So it's like, okay, the priest is clean. Feed and be blessed. Here, eat the... Because the, the, the priest didn't have to go out and work. Because their work was in the tabernacle. And people would give their animals as sacrifice. And a portion of that sacrifice was for the priest of food. Food to eat. For his family. For him and his family. So the priest is clean. Okay, feed and be blessed. The priest is unclean. It's like, okay, you're going to starve. And if the priest has a family, your family's going to starve. You cannot partake of this food. Because you're dirty. You're defiled before the Lord. And if people started to play games with the Lord, oh, nobody knows. My wife doesn't know. My kids don't know. The Lord knows. Then comes the curse. Priests who are cursed. Here we're at the very beginning of these statutes that are being given. And they're beautiful. In the law, but... You know, we're not under the law, but I'm just saying it's beautiful for what the Lord is doing in leading people, shepherding people to the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. But for you and me looking back on this, it's like, wow, this is so beautiful. But then at the same time, you know, don't play games with the Lord. Because priests can be cursed. The same way pastors can be cursed. The same way elders can be cursed. Ministry leaders can be cursed. And the Lord gives provision. Okay, you're clean now. You get right with the Lord. You wash. And afterward, you may eat the holy offerings because it is His food. Now, the people would give their offerings to the Lord. It wouldn't be an offering to the priest. It was an offering to the Lord. And the provision in the law was like, okay, the people make these offerings to me and I'm giving it to you for your sustenance, for your provisions. That's what's so beautiful about Paul. Paul says, look, I have, monetarily speaking, he says, I have every right to take an offering from you. For my, you know, uh, uh, as as uh, an ox, you know, who, uh, an ox who feeds while he treads. I have every right to take an offering and keep it for my living so I can pay for this, pay for that. I have every right to do it. But Paul says, no, I deny that right. I'm not going to do it. 
Freely I have received, freely I give. And so he was a tent maker. He'd go out and make tents. And so the finances that he had, the proceeds that he had from making tents, he would provide for himself and those who were with him. Feeding them. How beautiful this is. I think a lot of pastors need to check themselves. A lot of elders need to check themselves. They say, oh yeah, I need a red, you know. I, I, I don't teach, but I want my uh, $70,000 uh, wage, my, my salary. I don't teach, but I want $100,000 a year. Let's have this contract and get it approved by the, by the board or else I'm leaving. A lot of pastors need to check themselves. A lot of elders need to check themselves. A lot of the early church, the leaders in the early church, they don't want anybody's money. Paul, I don't want your money. Freely I have received, freely I give. And so look what happens here. In verse 8, whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself with it. I am the Lord. It's self-inflicted. To defile himself. Self-inflicted. A lot of the sin, if not all the sin, a lot. It's self-inflicted. I don't care if you're pastor, elder, pew Christian, pulpit Christian. I don't care. But a lot of sin is self-inflicted. But there is some sin that is not self-inflicted. And those are victims. And it kills me. It breaks my heart. People who are victims of the choices of another person. And it makes them walk away from the Lord. And yeah, they're in sin. But look at the examples that were placed before them. And it kills me because it's like, whoa, how, how crazy. A lot of kids, they grew up to be adults. They walk away from the Lord. Wow, you know, for parents, parents, you better repent. If that's you, you better repent and get your heart right with the Lord. And, you know, go back to your kid and say, hey, I'm sorry. You have to reap what you've sown. Nobody likes to reap what they've sown. I'm, you know, I'm included. I don't like to reap what I've sown. It's... Who does? But it's an aspect of learning. You have to taste of that sour fruit. It's a part of life. You have to taste of that sour fruit and use it as a tool to help you to learn the fear of the Lord because it comes at a heavy cost. When you wantonly go for your crack, when you wantonly go for your sex stuff, you go to strip clubs like it's like you're going to the grocery store. Like people go to the library, they check out a book. They go to strip clubs. It's, a, it's like, wow, don't you fear the Lord? I'm not talking about your love of the Lord, which I put that into question as well. I'm talking about your fear of the Lord. And kids, they get raised, they grow up in this. Victims of somebody else's choices. Victims of somebody else's sin. And then they grow up and they make these choices. A 12-year-old, I want nothing to do with God. Why? Because look, I'm raised in the church and look. Look at my dad. Look at my mom. 15-year-old. You want me to submit to this? You want me to submit to that? It kills me. You see, it's so powerful. You get these passages in the Old Testament where it's like, wow, Lord, this is... This is hardcore. 
And it surely is. Indeed it is. Don't play games with the Lord. And if you're a pew Christian, you hear me say that a lot. If you're a pew Christian, who knows? Five years from now, ten years from now, you might be a pulpit Christian. You know why? Because when you're a pew Christian, the Lord sees. He sees your heart. He says, wow, these pastors, look at them. They're a bunch of crackheads. Look at these elders. Wow, he goes to strip clubs. He beats on his wife. He's into his pornography. And this elder is doing this. He's an alcoholic. And this pastor, he's a fake. He's a wolf molesting children. But who's in the pew? Wow, look at this guy. I want to use this guy as a pastor. Wow, look at this girl. I'm going to use her to teach women. Who knows? You don't know? But what I do know is this. Honor the Lord. Love Him and fear Him. And so he says this in verse 9. They shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it and die thereby. If they profane it, I, the Lord, sanctify them. This sanctify, it's kadesh. Kadesh in the Hebrew. And it's so beautiful because it's like a process. It's to clean, to consecrate, to make holy, and to keep holy. Sanctification. I, the Lord, sanctify them. And that's what the Lord does inside of you and inside of me. You believe in Jesus Christ? Praise the Lord. You have a big cornerstone in your heart. It's Jesus Christ. You abide in Jesus Christ? Praise be to the Lord. You abide in Him? Praise the Lord. You're less carnal. The fruit of the flesh is dying and the fruit of the Spirit is thriving. Praise the Lord. You know what the Holy Spirit is? That chief cornerstone, which is Jesus, which is Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is adding brick by brick by brick by brick and adding a beautiful temple. Your body becomes His temple for Him to reside in. See? Old Testament and New Testament. The congruities of both. Different covenants but yet congruities nonetheless. And so look what happens here in verse 10. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. So the priest, you know, somebody would come with a lamb to sacrifice, a sheep and ox to sacrifice, a portion of that. The, the priest could take home and say, like, you know, hey, we're going to have, you know, meat tonight. A lot of meat. <laughs> we're eating meat tonight. <laughs> But it's not for any outsider. No foreigners. No Gentiles. It's for the Levitical priesthood. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells or visits, even a visitor. So say, for example, you're a priest. And you have your neighbor, who's the, the tribe of Dan. <clears throat> and he comes over. And, you know, he, 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 you know it's, he come, come over, that's fine. But you can't eat the food. That's holy. It's, it's for the priests and his family. It's not for this guy of the tribe of Dan. Not that the Lord doesn't love the tribe of Dan. But this holy food, it's for the priests. And the Lord is saying, hey, don't eat it. Well, it's only for the priests. A hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. Don't eat. It's, holy. it's a holy offering except... Verse 11, here are the provisions. But if the priest buys a person with his money or his wealth or substance, 
If the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. Whoa, so these holy offerings? You say, what's the difference? A hired servant or this uh, person who's bought? Well, a hired servant would be like a way. Think of like if you, if you have a maid. Think of like Molly Maid, you know, here, I live in the United States, and so there's this organization called Molly Maid. There's a whole bunch of different ones, but you know, it's like Rent-A-Maid. So you pay them, and then they come to your house at 9 in the morning, and they leave your house at 2 in the afternoon, and your house is clean. That's a hired maid. But then say, for example, you have a living maid. You know, that's something totally different. It's, you know, it, they live, they have a room, their own quarters, maybe have a vehicle, they clean the house, that's their job. You know, that's what they do. They clean your house and they make you breakfast. They make you lunch. They make you dinner. You have their, you give them a car, you know, and they go out and get your groceries. They come back. You tell them, this is what I like to eat, you know, or I'm on a diet. These are my calories that I want to have for each meal or each day. This is my caloric intake. They do it according to that. They clean your house. Your house is nice and tidy. Well, you know, that's like a living maid. That's like a, not, that's the difference between a hired servant Molly maid they come in, you know, they go to their home, they live at home, and the morning comes, they come to your place, they clean it, and they come once a week. You know, once a week. But what about the live-in one? Totally different. That's like, you know, a Brady Bunch, you know, have Alice. You know, she's like live-in. You know, she straight up lives there. And she becomes friendly with the family. That's what's so cool about when you see these servants in the Old Testament, and they work, you know, they're, they're, they're paid, they're bought, and they're slaves, but they're servants. And, you know, you think of slavery in, in the Bible. Slavery is much different than what you see in various cultures and various histories. Slavery is much different. Because there are provisions in the law to say, okay, the person is a slave, but they're a slave for X amount of years. Some, mostly seven years. And then there's the year of, year of Jubilee. They're free now. So like a poor family... A poor, like if I was a poor guy and then, you know, it's like, and I'm under the law where, you know, time machine to go back in time. I'm a poor guy. It's like, wow, I, I don't, I, I, I can't provide for my family. So I would, you know, I would be a slave. And so I'm a slave. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, I, I work and do all these things. But then after seven years, I'm free to go. It's like, wow, you know, here I take these wages. I'm, I'm bought as a slave. I take my wages. I give it to my family here, you know. Pay for the house, fix the roof, do all these things, you know. Buy some animals, buy a little flock and raise them. But I'm a slave, you know. See you in seven years. And then after seven years, I'm, I let go. I'm going to go back to my family. And hopefully they, they took care of the place, you know. Hopefully I can come back and be like, okay, let's get back on our feet again. You see, and the mistreating of slaves, forbidden. It's forbidden in the law. And that's why the Lord says... There's, and so I say, I have my freedom. So after seven years, I'm a slave. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, I'm free to go. But then I go to my master and I say, master, I know I'm free to go. But you know what, master? I love you. I've fallen in love with you. I love you, master. Because, yeah, I was working for you, and but you were fair to me. You treated me well. You treated me kindly. You know, you gave me food. I have a roof over my head. Wow, Master, I love you. And I know I'm free to go. But you know what, Master? Can I stay with you? I don't want to go. Because I fall in love with you. And so at that point, you become a bondservant. And so you see, so like, say you're a guest in a wealthy guy's house. 
And you see all these servants, you know, serving meals. But then you look up and you see an earring in one of them on the right ear. You see an earring. Then you know, whoa, this guy's a bondservant. He loves his master. And it's not just he loves his master. You know what? His master loves him. Because the master says, okay, you can be a bondservant. You know, I love you too. Some a servant says, hey, "Master, I know I'm free to go, but I don't want to. I, I don't want to go. I want to. I want. I, I love you, but you know I like the perks. You know you got good food. You have a nice house. I like these things, but you know what? I, I just want to stay here." And the master says, "No, that's okay. You're free." <laughs> but then what about when the master says, "Yes, my servant. You know what? I love you too. I love you too." That's why Paul, when he says these things about him being a bondservant and cry a bondservant for Christ, it's like, whoa, that's a heavy, heavy statement. Coming from Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, that's a heavy statement. A heavy statement to the church too. Back then, the church today, we lost this concept. Look at Paul denying his freedom for the sake of Christ. And so this what we see here in verse 11, me personally, and I'm not going to expound upon this much further than saying this. I believe that verse 11 has major, major, major implications for the born again believer. Now, in this life, and also during the millennial reign. If I had a ministry team, you know, I would gather the pastors, gather the elders, gather the Bible teachers and say, hey, look, you know, let's start, let's study this. Not as like, you know, this is what is, is going to happen during the millennial reign. There's going to be aspects of that. But as motivation for us to say, hey, you know what? We love the Lord. Let's, we fear the Lord. But you know what? Let's, stay, let's stay, this, stay the course. Stay the course. So when the tempter comes, you look for the door. I would say, you know, there's always, the Lord always makes a way of escape. And I would say, look for the door. But now I'm going to make a special emphasis. Look for the door that has a capital D. Look for that door. Look for that door. But I believe verse 11 has major, major implications for the born-again believer today and during the millennial reign. We might study that in, in time. When we're done with the Bible, we might touch on certain things. <laughs> so basically in eight more years. In verse 12, <clears throat> If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider... She may not eat of the holy offering. So now what happens? She has a different covering. She's married to an outsider. She has left the Levitical priesthood. She has maybe a, a, a foreigner, a Gentile. But no matter what, she's left that covering and now she can't eat the holy offerings. In verse 13, But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child, so it's like, okay, so there's certain provisions, but she can't have a child. Why? Why? Because the child is a foreigner. Because, say, the, 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 the daughter gets married and, and married to a Gentile. And it's like, okay, there's provisions for foreigners and Gentile. But for the Levitical priesthood, you can't eat of these offerings. Can't eat of, the, of these offerings anymore, daughter. And if you get divorced or you become a widow... You can come back and eat the offerings again, but if you have a child, you can't. You can't. Why? Because the child is a foreigner. And he says, like, wow, this sounds, you know, this sounds crazy. Well, understand, this is the law. 
In Christ, it's a completely different ballgame. Because remember Priscilla and Aquila, Jew and Gentile. And look at their mighty ministry, how they were used mightily in the Lord. And in, in the church for Apollos. You see, so in Christ, the fulfillment of the law, it's a totally different ballgame. In Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, in Christ. But here, this provision in the law, if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. Now, I have to say something to single women and younger single women too. You know, maybe like teenagers who are looking forward to marriage. Specifically for the single, my sisters in Christ. Here in these verses that we just read, the priest's daughters, they had to really, really consider who they give themselves to. Not just, I mean, of course, in honor of the Lord, but to think they're, they're leaving a lot. And it's all in honor of the Lord, but they really have to consider who they give themselves to. And my exhortation for the single sisters, my sisters in Christ, is to you do the same. Place a strong consideration on who you give yourself to. I don't care how cute the guy is. Cuteness will fade. But righteousness, it never fades. And you see a lot of dads, they set the bar so low. And I say that like it grieves my soul. A lot of dads set the bar so low. You know, and any Joe Schmo comes to the daughter and the daughter gets married. And now, the you know, all kinds of problems. Because, you know, daddy's at the bar so low. And I have to say something. If you're a single woman or single, you know, young lady in Christ. Let the Lord be your bar. Let the standard of the word of God and his righteousness be your bar. I don't care what that is like. Hopefully the, your, your dad is that. He exemplifies that. But if he doesn't, let the Lord be your bar. You know how many wives today in the church are grieved because their husbands are schleps? You know, and I, I don't want to laugh, but it's kind of... <laughs> I don't mean to sound mean by laughing at that error, you know, but it, it did they not know? Eh, some didn't know, but a lot of them knew. They knew, but they fell for the, you know, the cuteness. They fell for it. And, you know, I was a schlep to my wife, too. The Lord changed me. So praise be to the Lord. You know, if you're single, you know, let the Lord be your bar. Okay. And if you're married and, you know, you're married to a schlep, male, female, your wife's a schlep, your husband's a schlep, pray for them. Because, you know, my wife married a schlep. And she prayed and here we are. <laughs> it took some time. You know, I don't, I don't recommend that route. It's a very difficult route. But the Lord can do anything. You know, He can do anything. Anything is possible with the Lord. Anything. But as a special exhortation to the young females who are, and, and old females who are single, you know, place very high regard to who you give yourself to in marriage. And, you know, there's also a better way. If you're like fiending for marriage, there's a better way too. It's marriage to the bridegroom. 
And so let's look at what happens here in verse 14. And if a man eats the whole, you know, that concept of marriage, you know, I, I laugh. And I don't mean to like hurt anybody's feelings, you know, if, if you're married to like a bum, you know, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. But in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of humorous because this life is just a vapor. So like 5,000 years from now, when we're in Zion, you know, I'll remind you of it. Yeah, you remember, you know, this, that, whatever, then we'll laugh. Okay, so that's why it's like, you know, this is just a vapor. This life. The Bible says it's just a vapor. That's all it is. In the grand scheme of eternity, it's so minute. So like you're bummed out now. It's like, you know, praise be to the Lord that it's just a tiny vapor. We're in it right now, so it doesn't seem like a vapor. But I mean, have you ever talked to like, like a high school kid? You know, it's like their, it's like their world. It's like high school is their world. And it's kind of like, okay, this is just high school. It's just for this period of time. You're just here for another year. The world's not going to end. And so they don't understand that there's, you know, more. But it's still their world, you know. So not to nullify or minimize their experience in their world, but to understand, you know, open your eyes further. Life is a vapor. And this experience in school and this experience in whatever, if life is a vapor, man, this is a tiny, you know, little puff of a vapor. So start thinking eternally, you know, so that's why I kind of, I kind of laugh, you know, <laughs> because it's like, you know, guys come to me, oh, yeah, my wife did this, my wife did that. Oh, it's like, well, you should have thought about that before you proposed. But he didn't think. He was thinking about something else, you know what I'm saying? So verse 14, he says, and if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, unintentionally, so he didn't know, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. You see, so say, for example, you're a priest. We go back in time. And you're a priest, you're a, a Levite, and you're in the camp of uh, uh, the, the camp of the Levites. But then you have a friend from Dan. You know, he comes over, he opens up the fridge, starts eating, and you're like, whoa, 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 you can't eat that. And he didn't know. It was unintentional. He didn't know, but he still ate some. Nonetheless, he still ate some. Well, what does he have to do now? Now he has to restore, you know, whatever he ate. Say he ate, you know, he has to go and take of his own flock and give that to you or you know monetarily and you're going to see these passages in the old testament where there's these transactions and i hate to refer to it as transaction but when you think of redemption when you think of uh there's a lot of monetary application when you think of being purchased by the blood of the lamb you know we're purchased by the blood you know, it's like, wow, you know, it's not to think of yourself as a mere commodity, but it cost the Lord, uh, you know, it didn't cost you anything. Salvation, it's a free gift. But it cost our Father, His only begotten Son. But here, this restoration unto the priest, it's like, okay, I'm going to pay you back. Here, here's this animal back. You know, I ate your lamb. Here's your lamb back. But then also, here's an extra 20%. Add one-fifth to it. Wow, that's hardcore. That's hardcore. Then you understand, too, why the priests, when Jesus came, he's the priesthood, the, the ones who were blind and deaf, they turned it into a business because they can make a lot of money a lot, without doing any work. You know, the religious establishment, no work and a lot of pay. What were they doing? You see, you hear me mention in our study in Acts, what were the priests doing? Why were they running around all over the place chasing Paul, making these false accusations? 
when they should have been, well, number one, they should have known that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And some Pharisees did. There were Pharisees in the church. But then at the same time, I'll explain that. So he said, what do you mean there are Pharisees in the church? Sometimes I say things and I don't want to just gloss over them with, uh, without saying. But I'm just turning here. Um, there were, um, in Acts 15, verse 5, but some of the sect a sect of the Pharisees who believed. See, so there were Pharisees who believed. And so, it's, you know, I think their belief in the resurrection was probably a tremendous aid in them believing in Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ. I think the Sadducees were more closed off to receive Jesus Christ because of the teaching of the, uh, of, of the resurrection and the truth of the resurrection. But you see, these concepts of the resurrection kind of grease the skits for the Pharisees to believe. And praise be to the Lord. And so, you hear me say, I don't want to just gloss over the Pharisees who were in the church. But he, I wanted to say, like, why there's Pharisees in the church. But here in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, verse 5, Pharisees in the church. Pharisees who believed. And, and so, we go back to Levit Leviticus here in, in, in chapter 22. And you see this, wait a second. So, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, when Jesus came... They turned it into a business. That's why Jesus Christ was mad. He started turning over the tables because they, these uh, money changers, they were in cahoots with the priests. Uh, somebody would come with their sheep, with their animal for sacrifice, and they would inspect it and be like, well, we found a blemish over here, but it was phony. No blem Maybe there was a blemish, but you know, in a lot of cases, no blemish. They would say, here, let's put this lamb to the side. We cannot offer it. It's, it's not pleasing to the Lord. And it's not going to do you any good. It's going to bring judgment to your home, to you and your home, because it's dirty before the Lord. But here, I got this lamb right here. All you have to do is pay me 500 bucks. And so the guy would be like, wow, okay, this sin has a blemish. He found a blemish. I'm just following what the law says. There's a blemish in the lamb. I have sin in my life. I have sin in my camp, in my home. I need this sin to be atoned for, so here, I'll pay the 500 bucks. Pay the 500 bucks, get this new lamb, go and go to the temple, do the, the, the process of sacrifice. This is my offering to atone for sin. Meanwhile, that so-called mangy lamb, the next guy who's coming in, you know, here, here's this better lamb, and it's the same mangy lamb. They turned it into a business. And Jesus Christ was mad. He saw, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And he was furious, righteous indignation. Look at what they did. So what about pastors and elders who turn church into a business? A business. A lot of, I mean, the tax law for clergy, it's no joke. Nonprofits, the tax law for nonprofits. What about if you have a blanket, like a, a, a non-profit conglomeration with multiple uh, uh, non-profits? It's like, whoa, this is like, it's a tax haven. Criminals, white-collar crime. You call them pastors, but they're criminals committing these tax frauds. That's what they are. And if that's your pastor, if you're hearing this and that's your pastor, get a new pastor. 
No power is flowing through that guy. Oh, my pastor's a female. Well, no power is flowing through her. I don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. I'm just the messenger. The battery has to be turned. There's no power coming because the battery has to be turned. It's not to say there's no power. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not to say that at all. It's to say turn the battery in properly. Then you'll have power. You see? So let's look what happens here. In verse 14. Oh, so unintentionally ate of the offering. It says, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. So add 20%. That's why he turned into a business. The priest stood to make a lot of money. And I, mean, I, I, I say that for when Jesus came. I, you know, you see, that, I mean, not just when Jesus came, but when you see, we're going to get into the Chronicles of the Kings, and you're going to see the priesthood. It's a mess. A mess. And what does the Lord do? He sends the Assyrians. He sends the Babylonians. You see? Judgment. Judgment. Chastisement. In verse 15, they, speaking about the priests, they shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord. So it's not a small thing. It's not like it's not a big deal. I mean, the mentality of, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a lamb. Let's do this. You know, let's, okay, I'll take this lamb. Let's sacrifice it here. Let's burn it here. It became more minutia than the love and fear of the Lord. Remember this, I don't say process, but this process for tabernacle worship it's very holy and what the lord is doing is consecration of the people making them right before him so that he can have oneness with them intimacy with them and it's through the high priest because remember the high priest would go to the holy of holies but it's the exact same thing as new covenant believers Intimacy, oneness with God through the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Oh, and by the way, the veil was torn from top to bottom. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Thus saith Jesus Christ our Lord. So we read these passages in the law and it's like, whoa, there's some hardcore implications for us as new covenant believers. And so he says here, um, in verse 16, or allow them, notice it's the priests, or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offering. Their holy offerings. It's like, this is a, such a huge deal. Imagine somebody there in the camp saying, wow, priest, you're so mean. What do you mean? Not allow me. Verse 16, the very beginning says, or allow them. The priests were the ones. You know, Somebody comes with a, 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 a mangy sacrifice. I'm sorry, I can't accept this. Why? Well, it's, it's not that I want to be a jerk. It's not that I want to be mean. But I can't allow you to, to bring this, to present this because of this blemish. I can't allow it. As a priest, I can't allow it. What about pastors and elders today when there's sin in the camp? Wanton sex, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. I mean, I, you know, crackhead, come to Christ, give up the crack. You know, sex addict, come to Christ, praise the Lord, give up the sex, go and sin no more. 
Alcoholics, come to Christ. Go and sin no more. Come one, come all. Come to Jesus Christ. But don't leave him. Come to Christ. Anybody, come to Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ. But that also means you got to put down the crack. You got to put down the sex. You got to put down the alcohol. You got to change your ways. You got to reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, and get a new heart, a new spirit. The Holy Spirit. And then your heart aligns with the Lord Jesus Christ, the heart of our Lord. He says this here. In verse 16, For I, the Lord, sanctify them. It's the same word, Kadash. Kadash, which is a process, is to cleanse, to consecrate, to make holy, and to keep holy. The process of sanctification. For people to be right with God. Can you imagine a female? A female. Going to a priest, Old Testament. Say you're a priest. Back in time. When you're in the time machine, go back in time. You're a male priest. And then a female comes to you. Hey, priest. I think I might have, I think I might be a leper. I think I might have leprosy. You say, okay, don't worry about it. You go to like, you know, private quarters. It's just you as a male Levite and a female. And you say, okay. I have to inspect it now. Show me. Do you know how dead this priest has to be? Do you know how dead this priest has to be? I mean, who knows where it could be on the arm, but who knows where it is? What if it's like, you know, I don't want to get graphic, but you know, what if? Do you know how dead this priest has to be? And remember, the whole objective is for people to be right with the Lord. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder who, you know, thinks crazy thoughts about the lamb, crazy thoughts about the sheep, you need to repent and you need to step down. You are ill-equipped for ministry. That's not good. A lot of pastors, a lot of elders, they get away with murder. Quite literally too, spiritually speaking. They get away with murder. What happens when a female needs counsel? Pastor, I need help. I don't know what to do. Okay, let's talk. And she starts opening up and explaining things. And as a pastor, as an elder, you're thinking like, whoa, you know what? I'm going to do this with her. I'm going to do that with her. Sexually. You're a wicked pastor. You're a wicked elder if that's you. You're of what's prophesied in Acts 20. Former shepherd who's become a wolf. That's you. And you need to step down. And if you're listening to my message and you're in a church where that's your pastor, you need to tell him, hey, you can't be a pastor anymore. You can't be an elder anymore. You have abdicated those righteous responsibilities because of what you have done, the work of, works of your hands, the steps of your feet, you need to repent. Get your heart right with the Lord. Why? So you won't burn in hell. That's why. That's why I say you know how dead a guy has to be? Paul, look at Paul. You know how dead this guy is? Imagine a female coming to Paul. 
whatever sin she's in, whatever problem she has. And she says, Paul, I have a problem. What's the problem? It's no big deal. Let's, let's go here. Let's stand over here. Let's go to these private quarters. Just Paul and this girl. What's the problem? The lady opens up. It's this, it's that, it's that. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. You're going through that. I'm so sorry. Let's, let's pray. Here, let me teach you. Here, let's walk together. I love you so much, you know. You're my sister in Christ. I love you so much. Let's get you fixed up. Let's get you cleaned up. Juxtapose that with the perverted freak show pastor. Juxtapose that with the perverted elder freak show. Beware the mutilation. That's not of Christ. That's a wolf. We have to be wise to the times. Wise to the times. Wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. That's what the Lord tells us. I send you out as sheep among wolves. Wow. Sheep among wolves? What about in the last days when pastors become wolves? Pastors were wolves back then. You know, Acts 20. But in the last days, even more so. Pastors become wolves, sheaves, shills, hirelings. Or they might be a shepherd. Find a shepherd. If you don't have a pastor that's a shepherd, find a shepherd. Get one. Let not many of you be teachers. And so look what happens here. In verse 17, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his free will offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own, of your own free will. You see, no compulsion. No robots. Old Testament, New Testament, the Lord doesn't want robots. Own free will. In the Hebrew, it translates of your own pleasure, of your own delight. Have you ever seen a person in Christ, a Christian, a, a, a brother or sister in Christ? They do something, the work of their hands. It's some kind of works that they do. And when one person does it and they're murmuring and complaining and grumbling about it, and another person is doing the exact same thing. And it's like a delight to them. You know, if you're going to do a work of the Lord. And you're going to murmur and complain. Don't do the work. Don't go. Don't do it. Because your heart needs to be right with the Lord. It needs to be a delight. It needs to be a, pl a pleasurable thing to you. Because it's an honor of Him. No compulsion. The Lord doesn't want robots. He says you shall offer your own of your own free will a male without blemish. Nothing mangy. From the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. Whatever has a defect or a blemish, you shall not offer, for it does not, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. And whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow, or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect. Translates as without spot to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. You know, this speaks a lot towards farming and cattle raising. Because, I mean, you have like, 
I don't know how to say this, but you have like your, your chicken farms. You know, you, you buy cheap chicken and like look at look at the chicken. You know, they're all caged up and everything's all you know like they're tiny cages and they just pump them full of whatever and they make them big, but it's all you know whatever kind of whatever they put in the chickens. But then you have the free range animals. It's like wow, you know, this chicken tastes good. You can taste it in the meat. It's good. It's delicious. But you know, like. It says a lot to like farming techniques and animal raising to really do the work of your hands if you're like breeding animals, breeding sheep, breeding oxen, breeding these, you know, for the flock and you're raising them and breeding them and all. You really got to do it with care, care and honor to the Lord, working as to him. And then the blessing of it is that you're going to have a plethora of animals without blemish for when it's time for you to sacrifice. It's like, you know, there's such a thing as dirty money. You know, somebody writes a a $10,000 check to the church. Now, if you're a pastor, you're like, wow, $10,000. Wow, look how cool it is. We're blessed of the Lord. But what if that's crack money? It's drug money. It's dirty money. I don't care. $10,000, $100,000. It's dirty money. You get these big mansions of the drug lords, you know, they have these huge mansions. Dirty money. It's not clean. And then, you know, I have someone uh, flipping burgers, minimum wage job flipping burgers. In society, culture, they look down on that. Oh, it's just a minimum wage job. But wow, look at this guy. He, go, he works his heart out. You know, he works as unto the Lord. This lady working as unto the Lord to honor Him. Wow, there's blessings in that. Working as unto the Lord. It's pleasing to the Lord. No hypocrisy that the Lord sees. And you look at the church, the condition of the church today, which is a mess, knowing that judgment comes first in the house of God. What do you have to say? I mean, I, Sometimes you hear me talk about the church. It's like, wow, this is terrible. And it is terrible. But as a saint, I speak to you. What choices are you going to make? Let's, let's forget the church for a moment. What about you? As a saint, what about you? Are you going to join in what's going on in the church, the carnal, carnal nature in the church? And it pains me to say that. But when a pastor says, hey, guys, we're going to go grave soaking tonight. Are you going to join in? Be like, okay, cool. My pastor says it's okay, so it's okay. Or because you're a Berean, you know the word, you're going to say, no, thanks. I'm not going to partake in that. Pastor, can I talk to you? Elder, can I talk to you? Youth leader, can I talk to you? Yeah, let's talk. Okay, what's up? What in the world's wrong with you? What in the world is wrong with you? This is an abomination before the Lord. Why are you not repenting? Why are you not on your face right now? Repenting to the Lord and spewing these lies, which is an abomination before the Lord. You want to go grave soaking? What kind of craziness is that, pastor? What kind of craziness is that, elder? And then they call you crazy. And all you all you do, you just know, you, you read your Bible, you study your Bible, you're living peaceably, you're not a hypocrite, 
You're applying the word of God. You're just as our Lord says. You're you've you're you've built your house on solid ground. You hear the word and you do the word. You apply it in your life. And all of a sudden you become the bad guy. You know what I say? Praise be to the Lord. <laughs> you're a fulfillment of his word. You yourself, your witness, you, your temple, you're a fulfillment of his word. A good fulfillment, not the bad fulfillment, the good fulfillment. Praise be to the Lord. So join the cloud of witnesses. And so look what happens here in um, in verse 23 or in verse 22. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scab, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord. So remember, the best is offered to the Lord. Nothing mangy. The best is offered to the Lord. And this is as new, uh, old covenant. This is old covenant. But as new covenant believers, present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord. You know what? You're mangy now. That's okay. He'll take you in your yuck. But then he'll clean you and make you clean. Jesus cleans his own fish. Remember, it's a process. You believe in Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. Come. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're not a believer, you're listening to these words and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then hit pause and listen to the message, a brief message on how to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And pray the sinner's prayer. And rejoice and praise be to the Lord. And grow in Christ. This process of sanctification in the Hebrew, Kadesh, to clean, to consecrate, to make holy, and to keep holy. That's what the Lord does. He cleans His own fish. Remember, if you're not a believer, you're a fish. And once the Lord catches you, you're a lamb. And then once you grow in the Lord, you become a sheep. And you might stay a sheep, praise be to the Lord. You're still a fisherman. I'm speaking metaphysically. But then at the same time, you can go from sheep to shepherd. And don't forget, you know, stay shepherd. You can go from sheep to shepherd to wolf. That's not a good transition. All the other ones are good. But sheep to wolf or uh, shepherd to wolf, that's not good. Don't do that. If that's you, you become my enemy. Don't do that. Just to shepherd and teach people. Teach to go fishing. Catch fish, you know, teach the lambs, teach the sheep, you know, and cleanse them, clean them by the word of God and by prayer, through prayer. And so look what happens here in verse 23. <clears throat> Excuse me for a second. <clears throat> in verse 23, either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, <clears throat> you may offer as a free will offering. Remember, free will. Nothing's compelled. No robots. But for a vow, it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make anything of them in your land. So you read verse 24. You might question, wait a second. Jesus was bruised. He was crushed. He was torn. He was cut. What do I say? By whom? That's my question. By whom? He was offered as perfect. He was given as perfect without blemish. He was perfect. No sin without sin. 
You know who bruised, crushed, tore, and cut him? Both Jew and Gentile. Jew and Romans. All without excuse. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, something holy became profaned. Jesus Christ became profaned. Why? Because they crucify him. He became sin to pay the price for you and me because God loves you. Don't forget it. The Good Shepherd, capital G, capital S, the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's the means by which we're right with God. No one comes to the Father but through me. Those are his words. You're a Hindu, you're Buddhist, you're whatever, Muslim, you believe Virgin Mary. Come out of her, my people. Deny those. Oh, I'm of Abraham. Well, don't forget. Ishmael. Don't forget Esau. Look at the lineage. Old Testament. This is our studies in Genesis. Don't forget the lineage. The promise is, you know, from Abraham to Esau, but then also, you know, the, the birthright to Jacob. And Jesus Christ, he's going to bring these families together. It's one big, humongous, age-old family dispute. And Jesus Christ, he'll unify it all. It's going to come at a heavy price. But there's still unity. For the Christian today, unity in Christ. I'll tell you a big problem I see not on the horizon, it's here. You're starting to see the mudding of the waters of doctrine. I mean, it was there before, but even more so now. And in the name of freedom. You see these marches, churches marching together. Churches banding together, joining together. Lutherans, Episcopals, uh, Protestants, Catholics. They're all joining together. They're calling it Christianity. And in a lot of ways, you look at the doctrine of certain belief systems, it's not Christianity. It's not Christianity whatsoever. If righteousness comes through Abraham, then Jesus Christ died in vain. I say that to the Catholic. If righteousness comes through Abraham, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Read the catechisms of the Roman Catholic Church. Righteousness through Abraham. No. What a slap in the face to Jesus Christ. Righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. I get a lot of flack from Catholics, but I say this as a former Catholic. Purgatory? The Virgin Mary rescuing souls, taking them to heaven? It's not found in the Bible. It's found in the canon of Rome. But the canon of Rome? That's craziness. That's crazy town. Straight up crazy town. That's the doctrine of men. The tradition of men. The teachings of men. What does the Bible say? Repent. Come out of her, my people. 
And so look what happens here in verse 25. <clears throat> Nor from a for foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. Remember, in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. In Christ and in Christ alone. No Jew and Gentile. Remember, the priests, they're the gatekeepers. They're the inspectors. Somebody comes, says, here's my sheep, here's my turtle dove, here's my ox, here's my lamb. The offering unto the Lord. They're the inspectors. This, for Israel to be right with the Lord, is the priests who have a very, very, very important job to do. Praise be to the Lord that we have a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But this high priest, he has messengers who he calls friends. Who are those? Where are they? In verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When a bull or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall be seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day and thereafter it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Wow, that's a, that's a young sheep. That's a young animal, a young goat or a young bull. So, say somebody comes with a mangy sheep, and you're, you're a priest, you go back in time, you're a priest, you're a Levite, and you're a priest. And you're not going to be, you're not going to uh, love people over God. You're going to love God first. And yeah, you love your friend from the tribe of Dan. You're chummy with him. And he comes to you with a mangy sheep. Come on, you know, we, we're friends, you know, we're homies. Take this mangy sheep. And because you fear the Lord and you love the Lord over people, say, I'm sorry, I love you, my friend, but I cannot accept this sheep. There's a blemish here. But here, let's do something. Let's pray. We're going to pray. And I'm going to pray for you. And you're going to keep praying. So we're going to pray. And then go. don't sin anymore. Don't Whatever sin it is, don't do it anymore. Okay? Now, do you have any pregnant sheep? No, I don't have pregnant sheep. Okay. So take the two, the best male in your flock and the best female in your flock and breed them together. You know, do that. that pro bring them together. They do their deed. And, you know, Pregnancy happens, and then the birth happens. Of your best male, your best female. Bring them together. And keep that. You have a fresh lamb, a fresh baby lamb born. Let, the, let it stay with its mom for seven days, and then bring it to me on the eighth day. I'm going to inspect it, but because it's so young, it's probably going to be fine. Bring it to me on the eighth day. It's going to take some time, and you're going to have to work. You're going to have to, you know, breed and raise and do everything. Feed them properly. You don't want any. We're getting rid of all the blemishes. Take your best, your best male, your best female. Bring them together. You know, let that whole process happen, the pregnancy. And then it gives birth. And, you know, seven days with the mom, you know, and bring it to me on the eighth day. And the eighth day comes. It's like, okay, inspection, perfect. This is, this is qualified for sacrifice. It's so interesting that this is on the eighth day, which is the same as the law of circumcision on the eighth day. What, do, what does circumcision represent? Belief. And we're going to study that hardcore in Romans. A lot of things we're going to talk about touch on in Romans. 
You know what this is right here? It's an Old Testament example of what Brother James writes to us. Faith and works working together. Except it's kind of like backwards. Works and faith working together. <laughs> works and faith. Because, you know, your friend, your, your homie from the tribe of Dan says, Hey, you know, can I, there's this mangy sheep. No, repent for the sin that's causing you to bring the sheep and then also repent because you're at the, you, you, you want me to lie. You want to lie to the Holy Spirit. You want to lie to the Lord about this. So you got several things to repent for. Now you have to work. You got to do some work with your hands. It's going to take some time. You got to do this. Okay, and then on eighth day, bring the, bring the young ram to me. Bring in the little baby. The baby sheep, baby animal. Baby ox, baby goat, baby sheep. You see, it's symbolic, an Old Testament example. Does that, does that mean that we're saved by works? No, I'm not talking about works like, you know, all these different ministries. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about belief and obedience. Belief and obedience. Jesus Christ is the one who says, you believe me? Okay, follow me. Obey my commandments. That's being what Jesus Christ says in Matthew 7. That's being a hearer of the word and do. Remember Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. You see, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do you want to be a wise man? Okay. Hear the word and do the word. Hear the word, apply the word. Obey his word. In verse 26 of Matthew 7 says, And everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Where do you want your house? On the rock or on the sand? I mean, if you say you want your house on the sand, that's one thing. But if you say you want your house on the rock, which I hope you do, you want your house on the rock, you know what that means? You cannot be a fool anymore. You have to put down the crack pipe. You have to put down the pornography, the, the, the strip clubs. You have to put down the meth. You have to put down whatever it is. Be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. Applying the word to your life. Obeying the word. That's why I say an Old Testament example, Old Testament example of faith and works working together on the eighth day. The same day as circumcision. Remember, circumcision is circumcision of heart. A tender heart before the Lord. Belief. Of those I know and have known who have a tender heart before the Lord, those are some very beautiful people. Male and female, those are some beautiful people because their heart is aligned with the Lord. Their heart is in tune with the Lord. They're on the same frequency as the Lord. Be like that. You have friends in the church that say, hey, let's go do crack. I don't care. I mean, I don't care what they say to you. They say, hey, let's go do crack. Let's go to the strip club. Let's go do meth. Let's go do whatever. Let's go party. At that point, you have, you're at the fork in the road. You can honor the Lord. You can honor self. Honor the Lord or honor your friends. You say, okay, I don't want to be a dork, so I'll go to the strip clubs with you. I don't want to be a dork, so I'll go do crack with you. Or you can honor the Lord and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to partake in that wickedness. Here, you come over and let's listen to this Bible study. 
Let's go to church together. Let's read the Bible together. Let's pray together. A lot of pastors and elders, they like to be friends with man. And they don't mention people. They don't mention the crack. They don't mention the sex. They don't mention the pornography. They don't like to teach certain passages of Scripture because it's too convicting. I've had people say, you know what? In the course of a year, I've tied... Tithe, tithe six figures, over six figures to the church. And now the pastor is saying this. The pastor is teaching this. I'm going to have a little talk with the pastor. And then a couple days later, the pastor changes his mind after the conversation with this guy. You know what that is? It's a hireling. Money talks. It's a hireling. If your pastor is a hireling, get another pastor. You don't want that guy as your as your shepherd to Jesus Christ, as your sheepdog. You don't want that guy as your sheepdog. No. Let's look what happens here in verse 28, in closing. Whether it is a cow or you, do not bring both her and the young on the same day. <clears throat> Excuse me. Do not bring uh, uh, do not bring both her, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. And when you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. Remember, it's it's not by compulsion. It's of your own pleasure, your own delight. This is in the law, but I mean, same applies now. Whatever you do for the Lord, whatever ministry you have and you do for the Lord, whatever He gives you, it's pleasing. If it's not pleasing, hit the brakes. If you're doing something for the Lord, you say it's for the Lord, but you have no delight in it, you have no pleasure in it, hit the brakes. Just hit the brakes. I don't care what it is. Hit the brakes. Let's pause. And then at the same time, it's to pray. Study the Bible. Because sometimes people get so caught up in the work, the work of the Lord, that they forget the Lord of the work. It's a trap. Satan, that's what he wants to do. He wants you to forget the Lord of the work. And sometimes people are like, oh, the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord. And they forget the Lord of the work. If that's you, hit the brakes. Hit the brakes. Take some time off. Get your heart right with the Lord. Get your bearings right. And once your bearings are right, pray. And you might have to eject. You might just be like, look, there's no delight in this anymore. You might have to make some serious decisions. But praise be to the Lord. You know what that is? Your heart is, it's a delight for you. You know, the ministry, that might be a delight for you. It might not be a delight for you. But your delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the fulfillment of the law of the Lord. Your your delight is in the Lord. And you have oneness and intimacy with Him. And you just talk to Him, pray. Lord, I don't have delight in this anymore. Lord, there's no pleasure in this anymore. Talk to Him. Pray, and He will respond. You get your heart right with the Lord, and He desires intimacy with you. You know, He's not going to leave you hanging. Never does He do that. People think, oh, the Lord left me hanging. No, He didn't. How could He speak to you if you're on your crack pipe? How could he speak to you when you're high all the time? 
How can he speak to you when you spend all your free time at the strip clubs? How can the Lord speak to you when you're doing your pornography? How can the Lord speak to you when you're doing your alcohol? You know, there's so much noise around you, you don't have ears to hear. The Lord didn't leave you hanging. You turn your back on Him. You need to return to the Lord. And so look what happens here. In closing, in verse 30, On the same day it shall be eaten, you shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. Therefore, you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. It's to guard. You shall guard. It's a military term. Keep them, bind them on your heart, and man, put those, put everything of the Word of God like under lock and key and guard, you know, sentry, everything, the whole nine yards, like hardcore guard in your heart. And not just that, he says, and perform them, do them. Be a hearer of the Word, bind it to your heart, and then go be a doer of the Word. Apply it in your life. Praise be to the Lord. He says, I am the Lord. Verse 31, you read that. <clears throat> you read that, and it almost aligns with Matthew 7, what we read. Being a doer, hear the word and be a doer. <clears throat> In verse 32, yes, you shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. Israel forgets. We're looking at passages that are very, very beautiful. And what the Lord is telling Moses to say to Israel and the people, to the, the, the priests and Israel and, and Aaron, and his sons. But we're going to read further chapters where they forget. But it's the exact same way the church forgets. And the church has forgotten. But that's not to say that the, the Lord never changes. Remember, that's not to say that the Lord has changed. No, the church has changed. Verse 32, you shall not profane my holy name. But I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Kadesh. Remember the process, Kadesh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. That's his desire. He wants oneness with you. He desires oneness with you. Praise be to the Lord. You know, yielding to the Lord and yielding to the word, yielding to the spirit of the Lord, you know what happens? Oneness with him. Let it be said of us today, you and me both, the church, let it be said of us that we have oneness with him. Unity with one another. Koinonia. Ecclesia. The body of Christ. Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, we'll pick up in chapter 23 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.